and failing utterly. <laughs> yes. well, you go, what, what do we do when we fail? Cry about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bitch about it on Twitter, mm. um, which will completely undermine the impression that I know what I'm doing, which is definitely <laughs> the impression I'm trying to go with. Uh, yeah. my, my buddy Ken, who I've now done uh, two episodes with, and he listens. Uh, thank you, Ken. Uh, and he, he messaged me after the last one I did. And he's like, hey, uh, can I give you some advice? I'm like, sure. And he's like, stop shit talking your own podcast. We get it. You're insecure. <laughs> Just move on and like do it. <laughs> Come on. I'm like, all right. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to uh, um, belabor the point that, uh, you know, I, I feel like I have to justify it almost where I'm just like, <laughs> Are you not entertained? Well, if you're not, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> but we are back. We're here for take two. I mean, there was no take one. This is no. absolutely the first time we've ever spoken. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Leo, my good friend, uh, how are you? I'm very well. How are you, Richard? I, you know, it's been a rough week, uh, but uh, it's getting better because the week's almost over. Yes, Friday's nearly here. So, uh, yeah. Well, you you got that time difference. Yes, so you, for me. You're, you're really right there. I, <laughs> I have London as a 9.47. Yep. Yeah, that's that's GMT. That's basically what we are here. Mm. Bizarre. <laughs> but, uh, sir, welcome to Hold No Heroes. Thank you. Uh, very happy to have you back on for the first time uh <laughs> returning for the first time yeah uh you know uh for for my listeners uh leo and i uh attempted to have this conversation before and um due to some storage complications oh, or something difficulties. yeah it, it, it kind of uh went away or only only piece of uh the recording exists mm. so uh but it was such a good conversation. I, I definitely didn't want it to go to the wayside. Um, uh, Leo, I, I wanted to talk to you about um, the article you wrote on your Medium. What is electability? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, a, a question that everybody's talking about. Uh, all of them in good faith. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, it's it was... Uh, it was a really good article, and I wanted to talk to you about it and talk about our uh, various interactions with that word and what what it means in total good faith. Um, but but let me let me ask you first, Leo. Um, what was it that necessarily uh, sparked you to write uh, that article about well, electability? There's, I mean, basically, it's just come up. There was a tweet basically that I read um, that just said. That I think I linked to in the in the article actually that just says, not even sure what electability is to be honest, and it just sort of prompted me to because it's this discussion constantly on um, social media in general, but I'm not mm-hmm. on Facebook, so I, I tend to see it on Twitter. Is that people say you know uh, it's oh this person isn't electable, this person is electable, you know their electability is in question, this these sort of things constantly particularly about um specific uh individuals in politics who i would like to be elected their yeah. electability is often called into question 
and and it really and that tweet simply just said I don't even know what electability is to be honest but they um so it just prompted me to to actually think about it because my initial response was it was this is you know electability's this girl rant moan complain but then <laughs> the the more i thought about it i was like actually yeah that's actually an important question like i mean on the face of it it means this you know it, it means you would think it means whether you are able to be elected or not or or if you have um you know i don't know support behind you or something but the more you dig into it actually it doesn't mean anything like that yeah it's a, it's got a far narrower definition than uh its etymology would necessarily lead you to believe wouldn't it yeah well i mean you'd think the clue is in the name this is my argument like if you say someone is electable then it should have something to do with whether they've been elected or not and this is but as i discussed this is the problem because you're not if you talk about someone who's electable or not so in my case this is uh, currently going through the process because of the recent shenanigans with the labor party here mm-hmm. where we had uh, jeremy corbyn whose entire tenure was uh, lambasted as being he, he was lambasted as being entirely unelectable and his electability was always in doubt Despite but he kept that, winning leadership quite, contests. Yeah, well, he got he's been elected to public office every election since 1983, so he's pretty electable yeah. locally in that regard. So some people think he's electable, and then he got uh, elected by an overwhelming majority twice in the Labour Party, um, like an overwhelming majority, like not even the other candidates barely even got a look in both times. And that makes him pretty electable within the party. And then in 2017, he robbed the Conservative Party of their majority in Parliament. So one considers, and even in 2019, he got 10 million votes to the Conservatives' 13, which is not Mm -hmm. really the trouncing that has been, you know, announced by the, the media as being, you know, the worst defeat since whenever it was, 1935. I feel like that has most to do with expectations. A lot exactly. of people were really hoping, hoping, yeah. myself among them, watching that UK election <laughs> very closely. And, well, and the thing was, it, well, it as far as seats go, yes, it was a catastrophic defeat. But mm-hmm. if you actually dig into the numbers a bit more, 10 million votes is not a catastrophic, you know, that is not a drubbing by any, yeah. by any amount. So if you look at that, the amount of electability points surely goes up. And then you look at um, Sanders, who won Iowa, won, is it New Hampshire? He just won. Yep. And then he, uh, didn't he just win the last one, the third one? What was it? He, he won Nevada by an uh, uh, enormous margin, just a ludicrous margin. <laughs> In Nevada? Yeah, um, wow. uh, with like 80% Hispanic support. Holy crap. Because, uh, you know, uh, uh, when Sanders won Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, the talking point last time around was, well, of course he won those. Only white people like yeah. him in Nevada and New Hampshire are two of the whitest states in the union. Yeah. Um, but then Nevada is basically like, all right, let's see what happens. Oh, he won with overwhelming uh, <laughs> uh, uh, votes of color. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anything else to say about that? No? All right. Everyone shut the fuck up? Cool. <laughs> all right. Well, and, and this is the point is that, but still, it's, well, he's unelectable. He's, and, uh, you know, it's it's that sort of 
very moderate centrist position that that's where it's said with sort of this shake of the head and a sigh where it's like yeah they're just they're just not electable though are they 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 have no electability and it's like what on earth are you talking about like the, if the, the, the if the pieces are proving anything it's that they are very electable yes that's but that, and that's the trouble is sanders people have are still discussing the fact despite the fact that it overwhelm like you look at all the charts now and this is what's funny is and this is kind of what my, my point about what electability actually is was biden was considered the electable candidate right he was like yep. uh, and so the same thing is happening here with um in the labor uh, elections because corbyn is stepping down now due to the catastrophic defeat that proved he was useless etc etc so he's um He's stepping down. Poor and, man. Yeah, I quite. The thing is, he doesn't. Uh, care. Honestly, we don't. We don't deserve him. Exactly. This is like. Go you, ahead, take yeah. it, Jeremy. Jez, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's stepping down from leadership, but not from his seat. No, is no, he? he'll be. Oh God, he'll do that till he dies. I reckon he's like. There's no age <laughs> limit on um, MPs. It's just whether you get elected or not. So, and he uh-huh. is beloved in Islington, where he's. Like everyone there knows who he is. He was never not going to get elected there. So uh, he'll do well, it till he you know, dies. Uh, God bless you, Jez. You tried. You tried to. You tried to help us. You tried to. You, you tried to do the work, um, and we weren't ready for you yet. Well, there was the U. England wasn't ready for him yet. Was the problem, and that's and <laughs> that's the problem is that he it was he doesn't care. This is the thing is if there's one thing you've we've learned about Jeremy Corbyn is that actually. All he's ever tried to do is just help and be around yeah. and just be nice generally. And he will continue to do that, whether it's as a lab- labor leader or not. He will just continue mm-hmm. to do that. And I think, and that's admirable in and of itself. But I think the problem is that now, after three years of actually quite successful campaign, and, and I don't think this is said enough, but the correct campaign. He was doing the right. He was discussing all the right points in the right way, and was you know doing the bare minimum of, of what needed to be done in the UK. Oh yeah, and and well, was vilified for it. <laughs> the manifesto, like basically every policy he was running on from the manifesto, was polling like individually oh, yeah. fantastically. Through the roof. Uh, Through the roof. You know, if anything, uh, and we mentioned this in the conversation that didn't happen before, um, was that uh, the two things that really seemed to coalesce against Corbyn uh, was the constant shellacking and tying of his name to mm. anti-Semitism in, you know, uh, uh, the, the joke is that, <laughs> that we have over here is that um, – Basically, the UK is uh, a population 80% consisted of Guardian columnists who hate <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn. And so just constantly uploading like just garbage against him, uh, innuendo implication, uh, the photoshopping you. pictures of him in front of St. Basil's Cathedral. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like, it's the, yeah, and the stupid cap that they made look just a bit oh, more yeah. and, and uh yeah, and it, the the second thing that just had hit him was um, Brexit. Uh, he tried yeah. to th- thread the needle between remain and stay, or remain and leave, and, and that was so dumb. It, uh, was, it was the worst. The thing is, that was the worst outcome because he basically on in the twenty seventeen election he didn't. He said this was the referendum. This was the result. We're going to honor that result. We're going to leave. Brexit means but, Brexit. And and guess what? We got 
we robbed the Tories of the majority. There was a, f- mm. and I think there's been so much discussion that I don't actually think is at all productive within the Labour Party on the left and everything about it, where we've been sort of overanalyzing the December election. And there's this great sort of anecdote that I keep bringing up is that before, when the election was about to be called or when they were voting on it or whatever, there was this thing that did the rounds in the papers where someone said, one of the papers said that um, Dominic Cummings, who is Boris Johnson's advisor, um, Mm -hmm. he had a poll, the secret poll that only they had that told them that the, the, the Tories were going to win by majority, by like a huge majority. And the fact was, he did have that poll, and it was called the 2016 referendum. Because yep. all he needed to do was say, we are the only party who can deliver Brexit. And by doing that, he gets all of the Brexit votes. And mm-hmm. because all of our newspapers are owned by Tory donors in this country... <laughs> They and this is the thing that they nakedly they took. There was the Brexit Party, which is Nigel Farage's party, who I will not uh, bless with. I will not grace with defining who that monster is. But you should know <laughs> who he is anyway. Awful racist that he is. The his I should, Brexit Party. I, I, sh- I should make this episode the uh, the episode art for this is him uh, walking out of the that wreck Fine. with his bloody mouth. <laughs> Just yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Do that. <laughs> horrible man but he um it was basically he sort of instigated the whole europhobia thing within you know political party uh politics and so he um his party was the brexit party um Mm -hmm. and he was standing in several seats and the newspapers outright told him to stand down in certain seats they like there were literally headlines in the daily mail that said stand down nigel so he was told by the tory party via the papers, to stand down in marginal seats and seats where they couldn't uh, afford to lose uh, any seat, uh, any votes. Otherwise, mm. Labour would overtake them. So he was actively told to step down. And sure enough, um, so basically, Tories became the only Leave party, whereas unfortunately, Labour was not the only Remain party. And because they equivocated, because they said, we all right we'll do a people's vote and we'll put it to them and it became a bit it was clear but it was like it equivocated it was trying to play both sides and it didn't work at all and it was kowtowing to a a very well like you say guardian colonists um sort of london centric very metropolitan portion of uh of the commentariat rather than the actual (laughs) public and uh, yeah, and I think, and the trouble is, even if he had just been hardcore uh, Remain, and there'd been no other parties, bear in mind that's the point. Every other party was against Brexit, so yeah. there was, um, so you had, you know, the Liberal Democrats, or you had the Green Party, or you had whoever who were rabidly pro Euro and pro Remain, and and one and Lib Dems wanted to revoke the whole thing, you know, ign- wish away the millions of people who voted to leave. Yeah, and so you had this on you know the remain side which split that vote considerably and you only had the tories on the other so inevitably they were the only ones who were going to win and this is the thing boris johnson isn't electable he's a lying cheating racist homophobic sexist thief like he but, <laughs> but that that's the that isn't that the rub of it though is it it's monsters are electable good people aren't electable isn't that kind of like mm-hmm. uh 
you know, uh, my thinking for the longest time was that, you know, electability basically means uh, it turns towards a center that doesn't really exist. It's conservative. Uh, but, you know, uh, electability, at least um, conventional wisdom or conventional political wisdom in, I believe, both our countries is generally like, oh, our people are stupid and only monsters can make it into office. So, mm. you know, the electability argument works for uh, your Boris Johnson, the shaved orangutan, um, your uh, even your Farages, your Jacob Rees-Mogg, yeah. uh, your um, yeah. I mean, Donald Trump was theoretically not electable, but that was only what that was just because he's pure id. Yeah, <laughs> like that. That's kind of it. Like Boris Johnson at least speaks like a patrician, and that's kind of the thing that like that. That's the joke. The joke is look at this babbling baboon mm. who uh speaks like he went to a nice school mm. uh because he did because yeah. he's of purpose he afford it, yeah <laughs> yeah but you know uh good people people who have principles and have lived by them their entire lives your bernie sanders your uh jeremy corbyn's they're not electable because you know the system it's it's kind of a, a a giant myth that's meant to just spit out this conventional wisdom that it just reinforces the whole fucking machine mm. where it's just, you know, um, well, only monsters are electable. Mm. Why is that? It's like, well, the sh- system is designed to create monsters. Well, what about these guys that aren't? Well, they're not electable. And it, around in circles mm. we go. <laughs> Well, this is the problem. Is Because the, the thing is, electability is, essentially means that, that it's – well, as I argue in my article, is electability is not about whether you are electable or not, because, you know, these people who aren't quote unquote electable do get elected. And it's not about how popular you are. It's not about how much um, backing you have. It's not about how many votes you actually have necessarily. It's a what it is, is it's a mode of anointing someone. So Mm. someone is deemed electable. And that is normally by the people who control a narrative and as i think you put it last time on the episode that didn't happen was yeah. it's a it's a method of gatekeeping and yep. it's so you a certain particularly within uh, the press or the the media they are they are the ones who are who deem you electable or not and then that is given to the public it is not you know we present this person and then the public decides whether they are elected or not there is an intermediary that says, well, we foresee this person as being electable or non-electable, whereas that's normally not actually the case. So it's, yeah, it's, it's more about the, well, for me, which re- refers more to my book and my study and so on and so forth, is it's about creating the right story around someone, making sure they seem electable and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if I may, I'd like to read a little bit from your article. Uh, electability is about construct. It is about how malleable an artifact the individual is. Being electable means it is possible to build a story around this person and thus legitimize them in the eyes of the public, or at least public discourse. Because of this, electability must then be solely dictated by those who are already in power. David Cameron was a product of this. He was notoriously bland, personable enough without being charismatic, dodged tricky questions, repeated sound bites that he walked away from the second he had finished speaking. He did everything possible to ensure nothing idiosyncratic should bubble to the surface. In short, he was the perfect empty vessel. And I, I, I love that in the context of 
one thing we didn't have during the episode that didn't happen uh, was a uh, an interesting uh, new player to the game, a Michael Bloomberg. And I, I, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Mikey Blooms, um, but uh, Michael Bloomberg is basically Donald Trump. Yeah. And he is a racist, sexist. He has 64 sexual harassment suits against him. Donald Trump had um, like 59. Uh <laughs> You know that they are uh, fonts mm. of corruption and criminality and ethics violations and inside dealing and just and racism, just xenophobia yeah. through and through. The uh, but the electability argument is being used to favor Bloomberg as in a way that it never was for Trump, and oh. I, I like the the empty vessel. Uh, phrase that you use the the idea that like well i could look at him and he could blend into a crowd he doesn't have any you know never he literally i mean he was a republican up until last year he so there is very little that separates him from donald trump donald trump just like doesn't words good that's (laughs) it that's basically it bloomberg um you know talks um has zero charisma is uh, an absolute empty vessel as well, but in a way that for whatever reason is acceptable within modern day politics. Yeah. It's, well, you know, thing, uh, the thing I keep seeing is that, um, the, I saw a hilarious tweet. I think someone retweeted it, but someone was like, um, Mike Bloomberg is the, a break glass in case of emergency candidate because mm-hmm. you've had a fight fire with fire. And uh, like, I genuinely don't know how dumb you have to be to really <laughs> believe that the only way to beat Trump is to get another Trump because you've already got a Trump, you idiot. Yep. It's like, say, you know, like the only way to get more cake, you know, to get a better cake is to get the same cake or something like uh, w- what are you arguing for? <laughs> like all yeah. you do is you're not going to split Trump's vote. You're just going to shatter the Democrats vote because the people who've got Trump have already got Trump. So it's like you're not going to achieve anything by having the same thing, but yeah. for the other party. Conservatives never settle for the imitation. They will always go for the real thing. Yeah. And you know that. And Michael and, Bloomberg yeah. tries to, you know, the, the reason why they like Trump and not Bloomberg, I'm sure if Bloomberg re- went as a Republican, oh, yeah. a good chunk of this country would be fine with him. Because he stands for all the same things Trump does. He, except he is an efficient fascist. <laughs> Donald Trump, you know, uh, rather hilariously keeps leaking out that like basically, you know, AIDS would steal things from his desk because out of sight, out of mind, he'd absolutely forget about like the criminal thing he asked his AIDS to do if they just <laughs> removed it from his desk. Um, you know, he, he receives Ooh. important memos from other departments and he sh- rips them up like a mobster. And because of our like, laws that say that everything that gets handed to a president needs to get recorded. Uh, there are two aides that are tasked with taking them out of the wastebasket and taping them back together so they could be put in the library of Congress. Um, what was the one about like the, uh, one of the women who used to work there, uh, he found him with a piece of paper in his mouth or something like, he oh. to eat. So, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I just, I love that idea of like a six year old, just like, I don't know yeah. where to hide this. So I'm going to shove it in my mouth. Yeah. A, he, he, he destroys evidence uh, instinctively. It's just what he's done for his decades um, 
as a businessman uh, with right there <laughs> obvious mob ties yeah uh but you know it, it, it it's it, the the thing is that like bloomberg and this is the argument we're having now uh online as the public discourse is um is bloomberg worse or better than trump uh i would say worse because he has he believes all the things that trump says yeah. um but he is an effective manager he you know uh as mayor of new york basically um petitioned the state to allow him to uh continue with a third term even though that was uh not legal at the time. Um, he had the law changed for him. He ran um, wow. the NYPD as his own personal army. That's his own words. Um, <laughs> he, he basically made sure that every young black or Latino person in the tri-state area got like fucked up and pushed up against a brick wall and oh, searched regularly. Was that, that was yep. him, wasn't it, or something, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, he's now campaigning on, he's like, yeah, I, I changed my mind and that's why I stopped it. It's like, no, a court forced you to stop it. That's, that is what happened. And, you know, he lies. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, my opinion, he's worse than Trump, but he is electable. He is, yep. you know, uh, because. Well, he paid whether, to be <laughs> Yeah. You know, it, it's. We both have, I believe, justified um, shitty opinions about our individual countries. Mm. And it's interesting that uh, liberals, your center left, uh, also have shitty opinions, but for completely cynical reasons. So, you know, uh, I would say a leftist's idea of our nations is, yeah, people who are put into desperate situations uh, lurch into... um, philosophies, ideologies, um, groups that, you know, they just want to belong. And so they can, um, dip into, uh, racist organizations, sexism, um, mm. uh, uh, repressive religions, stuff like that. Whereas, uh, you know, your center liberal left, uh, is just like, no, uh, the people are dumb sheep and it's our job to herd them, um, yeah. accordingly. And so that's why the electability argument is usually, uh, brought up by them. They are the gatekeepers. Center left mm. is the gatekeeper of who is electable because the right never has that argument. I yeah. mean, uh, when Donald Trump was running in 2016, he ran against 20 other shitheads <laughs> and um, the right never seemed to have this conversation. It's just yeah. like, a yeah, let the best crank win. Um, but it's the center left um, commentariat that's just like, Oh, well, he's not really electable. I mean, can you really imagine like people actually falling for his shtick? Mm. Yeah. Well, this is exactly what we, we what's happening and the the main reason I um wrote the article was the was with the Labour Party leadership elections now that Corbyn's standing down. Um was, you know, Boris Johnson when he came into office when he was um appointed because he he was not elected when he became leader of the Conservative Party. That's right. He was he, they the internal party appointed him essentially um it was like 2000 votes or something or whatever that actually got him to be prime prime minister of the nation and he and when he went into office he the the polling he suggested he was the most disliked he led the most disliked government and was the most disliked prime minister in british history so he was not electable he was not a, a, a favored leader what's and certainly wasn't during the election what god knows but the 
and that was never brought up. His electability was never brought up. But now we're going through the Labour leadership discussion. Um, there's several candidates, uh, and the leading one, the joke is, there are several candidates, three of which are women, one of whom is a man. And the <laughs> man is leading, which should be a problem in and of itself, but no one's bringing that up for whatever reason. But, he's, um, but the, the, the constant argument about why this gentleman, his name's Keir Starmer, the reason he is being held up as the best is because he is electable. He has more electability. Um, he comes with less baggage, say, than uh, mm. Corbyn. Or, whereas generally what that this is actually talking about, because there's only one candidate who's really standing on a, a Corbynism you know, stance, essentially continuity with Corbynism, who's Rebecca Long-Bailey, and she was, his, um, she was one of the key policymakers for Manifesto and so on and so forth. So she's very much tied up with Corbynism. And you'd mm -hmm. think that given the overwhelming support for Corbyn during his tenure within the party membership, i.e. the people who elected him, you'd think she was a shoo-in. But unfortunately, no, Keir Starmer is considerably ahead of everyone else. He's at 50%, mm. and I think Rebecca Long-Bailey is second, but she's at something like 35 points. And we've got a while to go yet, but the, but yeah, the 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 good money is on Keir Starmer winning, but it's but he is so nakedly of the uh, Tony Blair school. He is yeah. you know a very well presented. Well, he's David Cameron. Exactly what I said about David Cameron applies to an him. empty vessel. He is a purely empty. No one really knows anything about him. He's you know well spoken. He seems nice enough. He's you know no real charisma, but he's like inoffensive. He's um smiley enough you know that kind of stuff so he's mm. therefore electable he has the electability question ticked off in his box well the uh i i, I admittedly haven't been uh able to follow the uh labor leadership contest actually the first thing i uh right before we jumped on a call uh james retweeted a video on mm. twitter that i uh, i watched that was about um starmer yes yeah, Starmer. Uh, about um, his uh, failure to live up to the previous manifesto and how mm -hmm. he's basically backtracking on a whole bunch of those policies. So yeah. that's the first thing I've heard about any of the later le labor leadership uh, mm. contests. So, because I, I just see these names and I have no context for any of them. No, so exactly. I'm just and like, are any of them good? I don't know. <laughs> well, this is the trouble is there's, there's, um, the only one who we who who I think generally know we do not want to to or if you are of the left within the Labour Party, the person you absolutely don't want is there's a woman called Lisa Nandy who has made it her sole point of platform for becoming the Labour leader to basically just insult anyone who has previously voted Labour over hmm. the last couple of years, which is sort of I can see her logic but it is still profoundly stupid because she's basically said we weren't listening we did everything wrong we're like basically just insulting the 10 million people who did vote labor and were very pro like because because we lost a certain section of the north which had been in decline for decades let's be honest mm -hmm. um she's desperately trying to appeal to them i.e. with a more centrist um position akin to Blair and so on and so forth. But that, and unfortunately, that's not going to win them back because they've they've made their choice. And that's the trouble. It's the same thing with like Trump voters is once you've 
kind of dipped your toe in the water of I'm just going to vote for I'm going to hold my nose and vote for this person. And but I, to be quite honest, I don't think that many people did hold their nose that voted for Boris Johnson. I think people just voted for Boris Johnson. And yeah. I think it's pretty damn foolish to try and appeal to those people. And unfortunately, there's lots of questions of like, oh, you know, northern working class people who with quote unquote concerns about immigration. And <laughs> what we shouldn't be doing is a, is pandering to that because there aren't concerns about immigration. And those the concerns about immigration are largely fraudulent, made up by people who benefit from these kinds of xenophobic isolationist attitudes. And she's trying to appeal to that, basically, that i.e. the right of the party, which is uh, appalling, in my opinion. And after the last... After Corbyn, I, I'm just staggered she has the brass neck to try and stand on that. At least Starmer <laughs> is sort of vaguely trying to be um, centrist, centre-left-ish. He's he's walking back on most of the manifesto, but he's at least mm. sort of making some appeal. Well, he's he's trying to like absolutely fulfill the role of the empty vessel the mm-hmm. the uh what we uh what the left and i wasn't left when obama was running uh but uh, what the left basically saw in obama was uh obama was a rorschach test yeah. he was very much uh he spoke in such vague terms that anybody could see whatever they wanted when they looked at him mm. and um the thing is that uh basically that has that happened once and it basically <laughs> inoculated the country against that so now the vast majority of the voting populace is incredibly cynical. So they're just like, oh, what happened to hope and change? Oh, none of it. All of it was bullshit. So um, we now have uh, in the electability argument again, we got uh, Pete Buttigieg, a 38-year-old shit eater uh, who's – probably a cia agent um (laughs) he looks like one yeah well do you do you not know about the um conspiracy oh i i know he was in the military wasn't he as something yeah he was a part of um naval intelligence and uh we we recently found out that um he if you want to sign up for the military, for that to be on your resume and to not be in any danger or do anything hard, <laughs> you basically do what he did, which was right. basically like appeal for like a six month trip to Afghanistan, stay in a cushy area. He drove a few people around. He never went to boot camp. Like, <laughs> but I mean, so he can stand on the debate stage and say, you know, as a veteran, also, <laughs> um, basically, people have been pouring over videos and found out that he is basically trying to affect uh, a, a speech pattern like Obama. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're like even direct, directly quoting him often. But oh, wow. Pete Buttigieg <laughs> is the empty vessel. He yes. he stands up there and he can talk at length and not say anything. He's yeah. like, you know what we need to do is we need to do big things, not little things. Little things <laughs> add up to big things, but big things are what are possible now. If you elect me, and it's just garbage, absolutely non-existent. Talk and out, say nothing, as they say. Yeah, and uh, he, and so like he, he is the electable. He is yeah. the electability model. He was built in a lab that's labeled electability. <laughs> he is, um, he he he's gay, but uh, he regrets it. Like he uh, he just did a town hall where they asked. Um, I don't know what the question was, but he basically said, yeah, if there was a pill to make me not gay, I'd take it. And then he looked at his like very perturbed husband in the front <laughs> row and he's like, 
but I wouldn't. I love you, Chastin. Like, <laughs> it was like one of the most awkward things. And I saw oh, a lot yeah. of LGBT uh, people on Twitter that's just like, this is a garbage answer. And oh, anybody beautiful. who in there, there, there's also a little bit of, there's a conspiracy. There's a lot of conspiracies uh, theories around Pete. One of them is that he's not really gay, and much like how he went into the military for the yes. limited amount of time, just wanted it for like resume padding. But I, I, I I'm not gonna engage in that kind of uh, speculation. Yeah, yeah, I, like, I, I think that's that's got little to do with yeah. his politics, and that's the trouble is that this that kind of discussion gets wound up with the wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. Same with like. Um, what, what I was saying about Jeremy Corbyn before where, you know, him being in proximity to, you know, uncomfortable people like dodgy people was, is unfortunately necessary when you have an incredibly important role in negotiating peace processes. That means mm-hmm. you have to be talking to unpleasant people, uh, but doesn't necessarily mean you're the unpleasant person or doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you agree with these unpleasant people. Diplomacy dictates sitting at a table with people yeah. you, maybe are uncomfortable with or that might be dangerous <laughs> yeah exactly it doesn't, i mean the, it affects your personal beliefs and in the same ways whether pete Buttigieg is you know how he feels about himself being gay or what to what lengths he is gay or whatever isn't really anything for anyone else to discuss Un- unlike <laughs> possible <laughs> connections to you know cia and the fact he he his donor program built the app that voted for the Iowa caucus and was provided by the Clinton founder, you know, all these horrible yeah. things that suddenly yeah. that is problematic. The guy, the guy is just like, uh, connected to all the worst aspects of American politics. Like mm. he, um, basically went to an Ivy league school. Um, he, uh, right out of school, basically started working for all the shadiest organizations in this country that have connections to other shady organizations in other oh. countries. Um, he took a 10 hour trip to, uh, Somaliland, um, uh, for hmm. vacation. He says, he said oh. it was for vacation, but, uh, 10 hours. it was, yeah. Talking to, because it's a 10 hour trip. Like it's, it's a very hard place to get to. Yes. And apparently while he was there, it was just long enough to talk to local leaders, quote unquote, (laughs) and then leave. And then the next day, him and his friend who went there published a New York times op-ed. This kid in Somalia wrote a New York times op-ed after a quote unquote vacation. He took in Somaliland to meet with local leaders. It's, it's just weird. It's just yeah. weird, but that's not the point. Yeah. <laughs> the point well, is, theoretically, he is electable. He says nothing. He tries to talk like white Obama. Yeah. Uh, he, he, his entire platform is, well, let's try to have some humility. You know, yeah. big things are very hard to do. But if we do a bunch of little things, maybe we'll get there someday. Hopefully, maybe. But I definitely want those big things. Like, you know, that, that's always the addendum. The yeah. thing is that the people, the people we fight for leftist policies for leftist action for justice um are always approaching us in supposed good faith saying now i agree with you that would be a really good thing to do but it just can't be done right now yeah exactly uh, it's you know yeah, uh, right uh, diane feinstein yeah the uh, the senator from my state she had protesters um uh, climate change protesters kids come to her office and say hey we need you to support um 
bans on fracking, uh, moving away from fossil fuels, uh, mm-hmm. zero um, emissions uh, by this date. And she's like, that's cute. Get out of my <laughs> office. And they're just like, but we're your supporters. And she's like, you kids ain't even old enough to vote. You're not my supporters. And <laughs> we will uh, she be. said that. <laughs> and, and she said, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. It's like, well, you haven't fucking done anything. <laughs> like the people who have these long ass careers and supposedly want to do these things, didn't do them, haven't mm. done them. Mm. And we are told over and over again that it was like, well, you're being overly simplistic. You know, uh, that's part of the electability argument. It's like, well, they're reasonable. They're pragmatists. You yeah. see, you guys are idealists and ideologues. You you believe things need to be done in order to fix problems. But I'm here to tell you that those problems are actually opportunities. <laughs> uh, it's it's evil. It's honestly evil. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, it, it it's a story. It's a story that the yeah. gatekeepers get to write. Uh, you, you hit it on the nail on the head when you said it's like it's empty vessel gatekeeping bullshit that's meant to be just a sticker that's supposed to say like i approve on such and such candidate we don't get to decide electability people with guardian columns get to decide electability. exactly yeah as i said that's the it's the um it's the conclave it's the official you know media conclave that the white smoke that pours out from the (laughs) chimney in uh, the papal conclave it's instead of the instead of the white smoke, you have this electability uh, column that suddenly mm-hmm. comes out one week and that that anoints Keir Starmer with electability or Joe Biden with it. And this is the thing: is uh, it, it's I kind of feel like there's well, certainly in America at the moment, that's I kind of feel like the the media there is kind of that's slipping away from you a bit because Biden oh, yeah. is the electable candidate and he is definitely not anymore. Like if well, you look at the, the 2016 the uh, yeah. inoculated a lot of people about that. A lot yeah. of people voted for Hillary because we were told she was electable. And yeah. when she ate shit in the historically easiest election that this country's yeah. ever had, basically a lot of people are like, Oh, maybe they don't know what electability is. <laughs> Quite. So, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and so so that and that's the problem is that I think that slipped away a bit from in America, whereas unfortunately because of the way our uh, press and our media is run, is it's that's they they really haven't let go of that kind of power unfortunately here, and it's re- incredibly reductive to see because the it's now the the discussion is and you know they don't actually care about it it's they've they've all quite smugly and cheerfully said well you know the worst defeat since 1934 basically good riddance to labor and now they're mm-hmm. sort of amusingly sort of patting labor on the head with a few discussions about well who's electable in the labor leadership party and they've anointed Keir Starmer and lo he shall be the labor leader for the next 5 years and lo we will lose the next um election because there is absolutely no way he could win an election because mm-hmm. the thing is, you the trouble with all of this is, uh, even though it will be five years after Brexit, they'll Keir Starmer was a devout Remainer. How do you think you're going to win back Leave seats when you have the, the probably the leading light of the Remain campaign, which was Keir Starmer? Who, what, what's he going to do? Like, how are people going to perceive him? So they're still, unfortunately, they still hold on to this idea of electability because Keir Starmer presents himself as electable, and. Now- let, let me work. ask you, uh, on the electability argument, it, it, it it's very much a, a, a stamp that only 
the commentariat get to have. Mm. Um, now, over here in the United States, it's we basically don't trust our media anymore. <laughs> it's so fractured and everything like that. We have a way more diverse media landscape than the UK does. Yeah. Um, you know, if I don't like CNN or MSNBC, um, I am in the majority for one, but also I have a million YouTube channels to watch. If mm-hmm. I wanted to, I could watch the angry gamer for news. I could watch, <laughs> um, uh, uh, the young Turks. I can watch whatever the fuck I want. I like anything that appeals to me. I can find it. Um, and that is very much like what's happening here Yeah, is that, you know, uh, uh it's branching out and basically Iraq. I, I feel like the Iraq war was one of the ones that really just kind of, for me, at least personally, and I, it sounds like very much with my age cohort, it's very much the Iraq war, which, you know, the, the mainstream media basically beat those war drums uh, bloody. Yeah, real and hard. Yeah. we're just like, we trusted you guys to tell us when, like, things are true or not. And you lied to us directly to our faces. And not only did none of you get punished, but all of you basically got, like, promoted and awards and shit for the deaths of a million people. Yeah. It's, it's yeah grotesque but that what what's is that is that ever going to happen there it, like i know it's not well, as diverse a media landscape but i mean we the, i mean is we're lucky i mean in many ways like so i i liken our press to a lot of your media like your a lot mm-hmm. of your media is owned your television media is owned by like a few and rupert they, murdoch specifically yeah and same with our press. A lot of our press is owned by Rupert Murdoch and like two yeah. other people. And unfortunately, <laughs> we still have a high newspaper readership. And the particular scum of the uh, the newspapers are The Sun and The Daily Mail, both Rupert Murdoch newspapers. But they have a yeah. very wide readership, though that is declining. Um, and they are overtly right-wing to the point of being just, you know, slightly right of Hitler. And they are, <laughs> uh, yeah, appalling rags. But they are one of the most widely read newspapers. Um, whereas our television media, we have a lot of digital television now, a lot of digital television. But the main, the main focus is generally we have the BBC, which accounts for uh, a few channels, and ITV and Channel Four are the main. They're, they're the stalwarts from pre-digital because they were the mm-hmm. channels we had. We had BBC One, Two, ITV, and Channel Four, and. They, they, they're the stalwarts. They generally have the most impact as far as television media goes. Now, the problem is um, the Channel 4 are publicly funded and independent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, TV I, licenses. TV well, license fees. No, Ch- Ch- Channel 4 is a commercial station. Oh, they, okay. they, that's just Channel 4. They get money through advertising and, and independent means, but they are an independent body. Um mm. And therefore pub- publicly funded, but through you know private sector means, they're not owned by anyone. ITV, I think, was lots of uh, was much more um, <laughs> Thatcherite um, in that it was more split up. There were lots of um, sectors, like our rail service was. It was broken up into contracts depending on region. It used to be like you'd have Meridian and you'd have which was our region in the southeast. So there's lots of separate ones that amounted to Channel 3, essentially. Um, whereas I think that got collated more in the 90s and it became more of a single channel. And it's that, again, that's um, uh, commercial. That, that is based on advertising and 
that sort of stuff. BBC is publicly funded, which is uh, TV licenses. If you own a TV in the UK, you have to pay your license fee. And that's... Um, I learned that the hard way. Yes. <laughs> you don't, they, uh, they, do, they do track you down. I mean, you don't have to because you, uh, if you don't have a TV, and if you don't, uh, specifically if you don't watch an exterior broadcast, you don't have to have a TV, TV license. That's yeah, I, I, I had to fight with someone when I was uh, yeah. in Edinburgh for grad school. I'm like, I just want to play my Xbox. I don't plan on like watching anything on it. And I, mm. They seem to like take some time to think about it. I bought the TV out of a pawn shop. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, I'm, no, there is a, they, they get very aggressive, and it's it, and they and it's one of the big problems people have with the TV licenses that they are too aggressive about how they police it. Because a lot of people don't, and a lot of students can't afford it mainly, and they're always the ones that people come after because people will use the computer to watch yeah. YouTube or what, and you know, that is just a monitor. Whereas television, basically the, the law is that if you receive an exterior broadcast, so i.e. broadcast television, then you can, then you are liable to pay license fee. If you don't, if you're not plugged into the exterior uh, broadcast system, if you're not plugged into an antenna or anything, you don't need to pay for it because you've already paid for, so like your internet, you've already paid for. If you're watching DVDs, you've paid for the DVDs and the DVD player. You've paid for the TV anyway. So all of this you've paid for, whereas essentially the BBC you have not paid for, so you cannot watch it unless you have paid for it, which is kind of like a subscription service. But it isn't a subscription service, but, <laughs> you, but the Tories can make it sound like one. And the problem is the BBC overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly favoured the Conservatives in the uh, well, since they've been in power, they have overwhelmingly because, and it's a very knotty question because the, is there bias? Probably not. The BBC is actually very dry when it comes to bias. They're not, despite what people say, they're actually quite fair. They have a minimum requirement for you know different uh, people have to be uh, allowed uh, afforded a certain amount of time depending on their political affiliation you know you can't i mean um rather famously over here one of our shitheads went over to bbc to go get interviewed by andrew neil uh ben shapiro oh of course and yeah. uh ben shapiro's just like just admit it you're a leftist aren't you and andrew neil's <laughs> andrew like neil <laughs> and who i'd never heard of before but andrew right. neil is just like if you knew how silly that fucking question was <laughs> you wouldn't have asked it exactly. <laughs> like it you know, and so like it, it was interesting to see one of our right wing shitheads uh, basically come across the media landscape of the UK and none mm. of his tricks work because he's like, well, if you're against me, that means you're a crazy leftist and thus not uh, worthy of dignifying at all. Yeah. And, you know, but, you know, Andrew Neil, who I believe is a Tory. Um, had, uh, you know, rather some legitimate questions to ask him about his fairness, his xenophobia, his um, uh, uh, Islamophobic uh, comments and comments mm. about uh, how collateral damage is actually cool. Uh, you know, so so yeah. like, yeah, a conservative, a Tory at the UK, a BBC Tory can like ask good questions of, mm. I mean, even um, what was it? Uh uh, Cody Johnston, he did a video uh, about this uh, on um, some more news. And he even talked about how even Pierce Morgan asked Trump like some hard questions here and yeah. there. Well, like, one or two, but he did yeah. ask some questions, basically. Yeah. So it's it, – <laughs> I mean uh, Pierce Morgan also asked a bunch of like softball, oh, yeah. shitty questions. But I mean, he asked like I'd one say. of them where he's like – but. 
you know. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> so your your media landscape is, I would say, as an outsider, incredibly incestuous. And yeah. the the thing I, is that I, all I, of yeah. basically every columnist and pundit went through the same uh, uh-huh. Oxbridge uh, 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 tunnel, or yeah. they yeah they went to one of the two schools. And um, they all, you know, basically come from the same economic background. They all live in the same places. They all went to school together. And so they're all just like, you know, it's just uh, this party of powerful people. And well, this was the problem. We had the, I mean, it probably wasn't a a thing in America, but we had this thing called the Leaveson Inquiry, which was when the grotesque and despicable um, fact that uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, daily. Oh, no, well, not Daily Mail. It was the um, was it Mail on Sunday? News of the World. News of the World newspaper, which was mm. the, the Sunday version of The Sun, um, had hacked the phones of the parents uh, of, of a um, kidnapped victims. Yeah, isn't it? a girl called Millie Dowler who was murdered. And, oh, yeah. they, and while they were dealing with this, before like they knew what had happened, I think, they their phones had been hacked by the News of the World to see, you know, to investigative journalism, quote unquote, and they were found out. And as soon as they found out, this came out, it became headline news. I think the Guardian published the article. Rupert Murdoch walked into the news of the world and shut it down immediately. Like he just closed it. Like he didn't tell anyone. He just like, he turned the, or like whoever it was, he appointed to do it, turned up and said, right, shut down. I'm terribly sorry. Bye. And uh, <laughs> hoping, hoping it would go away. And then there was the, uh, and then there was a huge uh, inquiry that was mandated by the government that went on for a long time about, uh, you know, the ethics of journalism, basically. And what came out was very interesting because it was this discussion, and this does account to the electability argument, because what it, what I'm talking about when I say, you know, gatekeeping and what I mean when, you know, creating narrative, it is the media that creates the narratives. And what came out of the Leaveson inquiry was that the media very much was just a part of another part of the government it was very much a publicity wing of the government and it and the, there was no unfortunately there was no hard proof they could not gather any sort of actual hard proof that um Robert Murdoch for, for instance was told to discuss these things in his newspapers or that Rupert Murdoch wanted assurances on certain things from David Cameron or you know all these sorts of things but what did turn out was that Rebecca Brooks, who was the editor of the News of the World, was best friends with David Cameron, spent weekends at his house. That uh. um, Andrew Neil spends an awful lot of time at garden parties with uh, Conservative Party donors. That Laura Kunisberg, the political editor with the BBC, is also very, very chummy with Mo. And, and there's some discussion of a very strange relationship she has with the current Prime Minister, which people you know again no hard evidence but there's lots of discussion and some untoward rumors that come up that you know you shouldn't really dignify with a response but the, but all of this amounted to the fact that whether you whether there is hard evidence or not what clearly was going on was that the media establishment was just exactly the same they just as the political political establishment they just moved into different areas like and David Cameron was an advertising executive before he became prime oh, minister. Geez. So yeah, and this is the thing: is it's all these top level jobs, certainly in the UK and probably similar in America, but definitely here. There's this, mm-hmm. like you say, very incestuous, interconnected, very interwoven 
um, system at, at those upper echelons where everyone knows everyone and is friends with everyone. And, and that's, and this is how uh, narratives like electability like ferment it's how they bubble to the top because i guarantee keir starmer was went to i haven't looked but i'm sure he probably went to either oxford or cambridge and i'm sure he was probably you know he may have and this is what they often say is like well you know my dad was a miner or you know my you mm-hmm. know i come from a working class background which you know fair enough most a lot of people do but some people are afforded even if they are from working class backgrounds they are afforded a much better uh, quality of life by going to, you know, Ivy League schools, as you would have it there. Um, and so you have you have an entire establishment that comes from, as you say, two universities, a couple of a handful of prep schools and boarding schools, and mm-hmm. they and they're the ones who say, well, this is my mate essentially. So all yeah. this person has the right credentials, that i.e. the credentials I have. So therefore, this person is electable, or this person is worthy of being in this. Because I know mm. them personally. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or my dad knows them personally. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, uh, oh, Uncle Tommy? Yeah, I know him. Mm. Uh, actually, rather famously, um, it came out that Buttigieg, uh, Pete Buttigieg and Mark Zuckerberg, the uh, founder and creator oh, of Facebook, uh, were classmates of one another at Harvard. <laughs> of course uh, so, they you know, it's uh, it's uh, as my my friend Chris always says, it's a big party and we ain't invited. Um, I just uh, I just sent you a link to um, an article um, that is about the uh, <laughs> Churchill Tommy Gun Society. Oh wow! Yeah, you know, uh, it is a, a lovely time. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's um, these. Um, these uh, right-wing journalists, uh, one formerly of Breitbart, one of the National Review Online, um, mm. have these parties where they just keep inviting um, politicians and journalists and insiders. And it's just – and they post pictures with this uh, portrait they have of yeah. Winston Churchill with a Tommy with gun. Tommy gun. <laughs> and uh, hence the name, the Churchill Tommy Gun Society. And it's no. uh, basically, yeah, when Libby Watson uh, wrote this article and everybody was talking about it, just like, yeah, they're all friends. They all know each other. They all have a great fucking time. You know, the uh, quote unquote adversarial relationship they put on is yeah. mostly yeah. performance art. They, you know, uh, Biden. Biden talks about this all the time. That he's like, "Yeah, when I get up, uh, when I become president, uh, all the Republicans are going to be my friends again." It's like, Joe, <laughs> that's not a good thing. <laughs> they, yeah, because they, yeah, they used to have beers together or something like that. But the thing is that, like, they're all friends, but they ain't our friends. That's the point. That's the yeah. point. Joe Biden is more likely to bend over backwards to facilitate his friend Mitch McConnell than Mitch McConnell ever is to concede power in any meaningful way. So. It's and, yeah. yeah, it uh, electability. It's who's invited to the party. Yeah. Bernie, he's not invited to the party. No, and Corbin, he was never invited to the party. Mm. They were old cranks who uh, you know, uh, uh, quote unquote self-righteous, always, you know, judging us because of our assassination programs or virtual signaling. Yeah. Exactly. You know, they they just weren't allowed to, at parties because they made everybody else feel insignificant. It is hilarious, and well, this is what I was talking about when uh, in the non-episode that didn't happen. That I, <laughs> I feel like I need to crowbar back in because of the the the, the podcast itself. But it's the, this is the thing that I I talk about when uh, 
in my book, Times Lie, available and from April 24th from all good bookstores. Pre-order um, it now. Pre-order it now. Uh, the is, is discussions of narrative. Uh, if you talk about this, it always comes to heroes and villains. And it's a part of my book is where the you electability is about heroism, essentially. And it's how we write our heroes. And it's what was brilliant about and my example was why Watchmen is still one of the great comic books is uh, and one of the great pieces of writing in my opinion is that uh, alan moore very accurately perceives the problems with this in, in that because the villain the actual villain of watchman is uh, adrian veidt who is a, a superhero he was mm-hmm. one of the Minutemen. he was you know a, and is a captain of industry a billionaire you know he's he's a good guy um but he ultimately sacrifices the lives of millions to save billions as he points out and it it's he's ultimately well he's definitely portrayed in the comic as a villain but like it's 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 still deemed as like well it's the lesser of you know the logical argument is it's the lesser of the two evils and he he did um he did he did the right thing and and my and what i think of as being so significant is that is when he realizes that he's achieved his goal is when he stood in, and looking at the media tell this story of like, you know, oh, suddenly America's talking to Russia to unite against this threat and this, that and the other. And he's stood in front of it saying, I did it. I, I, I did it. You know, a big smash page of him in front of all these TVs saying that he'd done the right thing, essentially. And he'd being patted on the back for killing all these people. And that essentially, to me, has always been what electability is it's always been or you know in an abstract form whether it with with or without that title of electability but that's what is seen as that's the good guy essentially is the one the ability to make hard choices yeah and it's it's those hard choices that are always at the expense of someone else it's always someone else is you know like we need to make tough choices no you need to you're making choices on other people's behalf you know people should be making tough choices not you for them you should well, do you know, uh, a couple of debates ago, they, for one thing, they just keep hammering Bernie on the these particular topics. But a couple of debates ago, they basically hammered the candidates, specifically Bernie, on um, how ready are you to use nukes? And oh, Bernie's oh, like, yeah. uh, I'm not. Or like second strike capabilities. This is a question yeah. that gets asked. So if Russia fires their nukes at us, will you fire your nukes back at them to punish them? And mm. Bernie's like, no, but all the other candidates are like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> and, um, it, it, it's, it, it could, yeah. Part of the narrative that just another piece to it, you know, not, not only is he not a member of the party, but he's also, um, not willing to quote unquote, make the hard choices. Yeah. Um, which if unpacked at all with any scope of uh, scale or um, moral or anything, it's just like, mm. this is a stupid question with a stupid outcome, no matter where you come at it. So the, the idea that these guys are patting themselves on the back as being uh, moral pragmatists by saying like, yeah, I'd be willing to obliterate billions. Um, <laughs> I'd push that uh, button. Yeah. Why not? Fuck it. Uh, they're like we're all going to die. Let them die mm. too. Sure. Like, what's the moral calculus there you just said that with unflinchingly yeah like, well this is this exactly the same thing happened the last two elections that the and they the thing was they they realized it was a, a sticking point for corbyn because he was asked about you know would you push the button and he understandably said well you know i would 
you know, it's the absolute last resort. I would, you know, I would want to talk to this person. I'd want to speak to this. I would go through COBRA, which is our, you know, anti-terrorism unit. I'd want to go through, you know, I would go through every single possible standpoint to resist that because you shouldn't, we shouldn't need to use it. Like we should be de-escalating, not escalating. So Mm -hmm. I would be loathed to, I, if, if it came to the point where we had to, I perhaps would, uh, but the, and this was sort of, and that, that was in 2017, and it was drummed as like, he's too afraid to put, you know, he, this is just pussyfooting around the problem and he's just being a big weed and all like, and they really hammered this. And I remember it was on, um, it was on TV and they were asking him this question again and there was an audience there and they were taking questions from the audience and one of the girls just said, it's quite a famous clip now but she just says i don't know why everyone's so obsessed with nuclear annihilation and like why that's a good thing but it seems a bit mad to me and since then and in the last election it became a question where they would like if you were in power would you push the nuclear button and joe swinson prided herself on going yes i would absolutely yes like uh didn't say anything else I, yes i would push it yes i remember that yeah i, I remember every uh um, a lot of the circles i travel in was just like she's smirking while giving this like just blood curdling answer just like just absolutely proud of herself just the you know the cat the cock the canary just like you're damn right i would like (laughs) why are you proud about this what the fuck is going on in your head right now there's a difference between saying yes i would begrudgingly push the button and going yep i'd push it damn tootin (laughs) like that's not the same thing yeah but you know, it's that's the, just the framing. Yeah, the framing of those neoconservative talking points. That's just like, hey, how willing are? You, uh, how many people are you willing to kill? Can you give me a rough estimate? <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing is, it's, it's yeah. the villains are the ones who are willing to do that, and that's yeah. why they're they're not the good guys, and yet they are the only ones willing to actually make any changes. And this is the trouble: is all essentially all the superheroes end up being centrists because it's this you become essentially arguing for the status quo, i.e., you know, mm-hmm. trimming at the edges and not really actually, you know, talking a big game about change, but the nature of comics is that they don't change really. And, or not as much as you would think they would. Yeah. Um, it, it, and, and it kind of it is a, a distinct and noticeable parallel. So when, so it's much easier to cast Bernie or Corbyn as a villain because that's the only narrative we understand at the moment is, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us, which is. Or at the very least, uh, they get cast as uh, the, the, the goofus, the unwitting ally to, uh, you know, now ever since 2016, America has been very much embroiled in uh, seeing Russians behind every corner. And so, everybody started using this like cold war terminology of useful idiots, people who, you know, sure they have like their own beliefs and their own structures and maybe they've never spoken to a Russian and maybe they don't have any, you know, pro Russian sympathies or anything like that, but everything they're doing is actually being aided by Russia. And uh, so, you know, me as a leftist is um, an uh, an unwitting uh, fool on behalf of Russia because I've, want justice in my yeah. stupid country because well, you want uh you know healthcare. you nazi stooge you yeah wanting a you know people to not be homeless yeah <laughs> just bizarre it's like the idea that someone someone very aptly pointed out that you have um if you have someone standing on a platform like sanders or corbyn and 
they win, oh, what what evil bastards they are that they're going to come along and give you free health care. Like, <laughs> think of all the awful things that's going to happen when you get, you know, a, a good housing rate and, you know. Yeah, moderate social more. democracy. <laughs> yeah, absolute bare bloody minimum social democracy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you bastards, look what they've done, <laughs> you know. They're really going to hate when you get free fiber broadband. <laughs> yeah, my my favorite tw- one of the the my favorite tweets I've ever seen, and I'm sorry I can't remember who wrote it, but it's just like you're darn right. When we win, you're going up against the wall. You're going to go up against three walls. You're going to get a roof too, and you're going to get an education, and you're going to get healthier too. God damn it! <laughs> it's just like, yeah, damn right. It's like that old thing of like um, <laughs> yeah, you're going to get the wall or whatever. Yeah, like gay chicken of like, I'll do gay chicken. I'll marry you. I'll show you. I'll, I'll make you really happy. I'll cook meals for you every goddamn night. It's got your flowers for Valentine's Day, goddamn it. I'll show you what it's like to be gay. And like, they, I'll, I'll, I'll win that argument. Like, yeah. What I genuinely, the, the, the fear that I've always, because it's always been presented to me, and I think we talked about this before, was in the last non podcast, was that I was always presented to, or my father basically and my mother were both very much um uh, hippies you know lefties and Mm -hmm. they it was always they never really discussed it as politics but it was always there tends to be people who um people who want to share things and people generally who don't and you should share and you know if you help people that's good and like and that helps you if you help other people that generally works out well for you as well and you should, you know, just try and be nice. And that's generally, I think, what most people try to instill in their kids. You don't want anyone to grow up a dick. You don't want to make anyone um, be horrible. And even if you are right-wing, people still, like, even the the worst bloody Republicans talk about their charity they do, you know, all these sorts of things. It's, it's still seen as you have to make motions to being diverse and motions to being to helping others in some way, even if it's the, millionaire. Yeah. You know. The most strident Republican at least believes that the word racism is bad. They yeah. couldn't tell you what the actual definition is or how to identify <laughs> it or who has it, but they can at least tell you that racism is bad. It's wrong, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite. But, it, you know, what, what that constitutes is a very broad church, apparently. But the mm. it, it's – the and that's the problem is that you don't have – this diverges as you get older and as your ideologies develop that this becomes about being you know do you are you willing to and our again our mutual acquaintance james he made a great point in a video for zero books where when uh the, the british election in in december was very much like a, a parable i think he took it from freud where he said there was you know a man finds a genie in a bottle and gets granted a wish and the genie says what would you Anything you desire, I'll grant your wish. But whatever wish I grant you, I will visit upon my neighbor twofold. So if you vote for a million pounds, your neighbor will get two million pounds. And the man thinks for a moment and says, take my eye. And that was the, uh, that was the argument in basically that, that came about in the last election was that when offered you know, free broadband and all these very easily attainable, not actually that expensive things, especially compared to war and all that sort of thing, you know, yeah. these very moderate left um, policies that were, you know, kind of the bare minimum of actual like humanity at this point, they, they the response was take my eye. And it, it was a really profound sort of understanding of my own country 
and when I say my own, I mean England, not the UK, because Scotland overwhelmingly didn't vote for um, the Tories, nor did Wales. So it was just England <laughs> that was <laughs> appalling in that uh, in that regard. But they, um, yeah, it, it's that that mentality now of of you know what's it, it's not about electability even for for the actual public. It's not. It's about what we, what I need specifically. Whereas, unfortunately, in the media, it is still very much about. Well, we need to keep the establishment, the establishment, and mm-hmm. uh, and as disruptive and awful and interventionist as uh, Boris Johnson is, he is a hundred percent part of the establishment. He is hard and fight. You cut cut him in half, and it, you have the establishment running through him like a stick of rock. There's there's no doubt about yeah. it, and. So for all his faults, and this is the joke, the BBC supported him, but tacitly, not you know, in an overt way, but they mm-hmm. deferred to him. You know, he he opted out of being interviewed, and they didn't chase him up. They, you know, they didn't. No one was. That's right. About that. And I so, remember that exactly. And so you know, he, he was never really challenged in any meaningful way. And sure enough, as soon as he got into power, the Tories have decided that they're going to rescind the license fee which is going to completely destroy the BBC. The BBC will, if it doesn't cease to exist within 10 years, it will be nothing. It will be nothing to what it was. It will be kind of like HBO in that it will produce a few sort of key dramas probably um, Jesus. within the next 10 years. And bear in mind that that is, you know, the BBC has been going since, uh, oh God, yeah, first half of the 20th century anyway, and was has been publicly funded. It does you know, school outreaches, it helps with um, GCSE revision, which is our, you know, kind of like your SATs, I guess. It mm-hmm. has the, um, it's been integrated with Open University, which is a free learning university. It's, you know, it has children's programming, uh, it has programming for, you know, it has all the news channels. It ha- all of this stuff is what it has. And they've demanded that it now be turned to a subscription service, which would be less, much less money, so it would have to be reduced, which means all of that Jeez. would go. All of it would go, and so w- and with the profit that- incentive, then yeah. comes sensationalism. Exactly, uh, advertisers, yeah. uh, the pull, not you know, not wanting to scare away advertisers with quote unquote controversial content. Yeah, so you Just, lose that sort of unbiased nature that they've they've developed over the decades that they've been going, and that would be, and yeah, it would be a massive under. I mean, I have no particular love for the BBC's news programs because I don't. I, but they are generally because a lot of that amounts to commentary now. Their news is actually quite good. If you watch like the ten o'clock news, I actually oh yeah, that's quite good. But their actual like News Twenty Four, which is the rolling news channel, and it's generally a lot of opinion, and it's quite it, it's getting more American. Basically, it's more about actual opinion and pushing certain um, narratives, as it were, and mm-hmm. that I'm less enthusiastic about. But but their you know the school the youth programming the you know school agendas that the their website is incredible the radio they own oh, yeah. all the major radio stations in the UK um, that like there is so much they do that is sort of bubbles under the surface that will just disappear they will it will be reduced to maybe a handful of radio stations that make the most money and the BBC one and two TV programs probably maybe one of the other digital channels and that's that that'll be it and and this is what deferring to the tories gets you because you know they were tacitly 
you know, completely unchallenged. They did not challenge the Conservatives or anything like they challenged Labour. And this is what it got them. They they are have they are now being threatened with having the license fee rescinded, and they will it, they will do it. They'll do that definitely, in the same way as they'll try and sell off the NHS. So it's it's only a matter of time before these things happen. And it's and that's kind of what's depressing now is that how how do we on the left here fight against that, and why we are watching with very close eyes on a certain Mr. Sanders' uh, electability um, <laughs> standards within the next what is it is november is it yes yeah next 10 months or so well no it's not even that it's what nine months eight months yeah it's it's coming um but i can say that uh you know uh he has not won a majority yet uh but he is the first candidate of either party to have ever won by the popular vote of the first three uh Mm. primaries but he doesn't have what is it something to do with delegates he doesn't have as many delegates or something or by the time of the convention in June, when the candidate is uh, nominated, uh, right. they need somewhere near almost 2,000, about 1,900 delegates. Right. Uh, each state has so many. Uh, California, the state I live in, has 435 delegates. Right, okay. So California is going to be a big one. That one's coming right. up March 3rd. But um, yeah, as of delegates right now, it is very likely that if Sanders continues on the path he's going right now, he will have a plurality. He will have the most delegates by the convention. Yeah. And that's why the last uh, debate, they asked them, hey, what um, do you believe the person with the most delegates should be the nominee? Yeah, and basically right. everyone but Bernie Sanders said, no. <laughs> well, I so wonder Bert, why. <laughs> yeah. So even progressive uh, champion, quote unquote, uh, Elizabeth Warren is just Warren. like, no, we should we should fuck Bernie over. <laughs> so yeah, let the Dems decide. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, and you know the the funny thing is, if it goes to a brokered convention, so it'll go to a convention, and then they basically ignore everything that happened, and then super delegates get involved, and those are right. the party elite, the ele- the people who decide what is electability, ah, the yes. people who all went to the same schools and who are friends, <laughs> uncles, and brothers of one another, and everything, and they get into a smoke filled room and they say, ah, let's give it to Bloomberg. <laughs> He paid, he paid us for, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did. He donated $400,000 to the yeah, yeah, DNC yeah. right before he jumped into the election, as well as, uh, he's been buying, um, candidates, uh, of, you know, um, a number of black mares just supported him. And remember he, uh, uh he's the implementer of stop and frisk. Yeah. So, you know, his, uh, pull with the black community is shit, but, um, you know, uh, the only color he knows is green. And it's bought him a number of black supporters. Yeah, unfortunately, that's um, yes. It's not. It's not what you know. It's how much you know. <laughs> yeah, how much you own. And but it's, that's uh, that's electability, yeah. baby. And that is it. That that is precisely it. That is the electability question, isn't it? So yeah. The get the game is under a certain dollar amount. <laughs> well, you know uh, the. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to wrap this up, but the um, the last debate, the debate that happened this week, um, like two days ago, um, r- rather weirdly, Bernie was getting booed and Michael Bloomberg was getting cheers. And then everyone found out that basically the starting price was about $2,000 to get into uh, the debate oh, wow. audience. And those oh. are the nosebleed seats. So um, – <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah it, it was Democratic donors who made it, and people who yeah, were literally paid for by Bloomberg. So, I think the thing is, that, like, we're not like 
uh, I hope at least that I I do feel like there's that Bluebird can throw a lot of money at this, but unfortunately, you kind of seen. Uh, well, he's just doing Trump, and unfortunately, uh, it's kind of. I don't think it's going to fly when it comes to the end of it because people have seen through that enough. And I mean, fine, he might get the nomination, but like, I think anyone but Sanders getting the nominations is an automatic second term for Trump. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. <laughs> there's, well, because there's no unity. Because like the, I mean, Sanders clearly has the non-white vote over most of the other people by quite a long way by it seem by what it seems, and that was kind of what killed Clinton. She didn't really have any of that. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I really can't see anyone, but uh, Sanders getting anywhere. Obviously I'm biased, but I really, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't like Warren is, I do understand why people support Warren and she's sort of a bit more vanilla light uh, yeah. version of Sa- Sanders. But I, I think, you know, that's, she's clearly not doing well in the polls at the moment. And She's not winning any any of these races, and Biden. No, she's drinking. she's. They're both of them uh, are, are are failing. Uh, just they're spiraling, and they're that's why all of them are grasping for. Uh, you know, generally speaking, it's never been this way that so many candidates hold on after doing so poorly in the first three races. Usually, by now, it would have narrowed down to maybe two or three people instead of the seven some odd people we have. But mm-hmm. all of them are hoping to make have enough money to get to the convention. And oh, hopefully come out on top when Super Dilla gets uh, pick the winner. <laughs> That's ludicrous. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It, democracy in action. Electability. There you go. It's, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, to cap it off, that's kind of what it, it ends up being, isn't it? It's like you've not. It yeah, that's a perfect whether, encapsulation. It doesn't matter but, whether you've actually been elected or not that you are now electable. You, you are chosen have, by the party. Yeah, you are appointed electable. Not yeah. elected. <laughs> yeah, it, it, electability has very little to do with winning elections. I mean, like you said at the beginning, Joe Biden was theoretically the electable candidate. Yeah. He's been spiraling in the polls. He's sundowning by 9 a.m. He's obviously senile and not well, but not a lot of people know this. He has lost two presidential elections before. Once oh, when cool. I was born in 1988 and upon losing uh, had two aneurysms like right after one another. Oh, Jesus. And then he ran uh, in 2008 along with Hillary and Barack Obama. And, oh, uh, of course. And he th- was the this was the, Yeah. He was, was well, uh, the, the, this was the funny part is that at the, the news out of Nevada, um, Biden, I think, got second place in Nevada. And everybody was like, congratulations, Biden. You finally got at least second place in Nevada. This is the best you've ever done in Nevada. <laughs> Applause, applause, applause. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. managing expectations. But it's it's the party. It's who's invited, electability is who's invited to the party. And anybody who wants to talk about what is or is not electable, it, 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 in my opinion, and I, uh, I'll let you speak on whether you agree with this, but anybody who actually talks about electability in anything resembling good faith doesn't actually care about electability. It is, mm. not, if you actually give a shit, it's not in your cross tabs. It's not something you're looking for. No. It, it, it's nobody who actually wants someone to win is talking about electability. Mm. It's not. A, it, it, it's not a trait. It's not a trait no. anyone's looking for or measuring. No, 
It is, it, yeah, it's not an individual trait that a person can have is to be electable. It is what you are created to or, or what you are assigned, essentially. And I think that's, if people do talk about electability, it is normally from a position of lacking power and or like yeah. lacking enough power, I think is what it is. Because so electability amounts to wanting power, essentially, or so uh, legitimizing that. So this person can be moved into a position of power. And um, mm-hmm. whereas for the people who actually gain it, the Boris Johnsons, the Donald Trumps and so on and so forth, it doesn't matter to them because they've just, they can fully inhabit this, you know, their personal desires, you know, Trump and Boris Johnson have both like entirely of, you know, Trump can have his McDonald's and, and his steaks and his chips and he can do, you know, grab women by the pussy and Boris Johnson could be as racist and sexist as horrible as he likes and quaff wine and, you know, be a, be a dreadful human being, but because he's, because he just owns that. Because, and this is, I think this is the main problem with the left and why we have to defer to electability is because mm. we don't generally left wing people don't like being like that. It's more about collective unity as opposed to being about me getting what I want and, you know, using desire, you know, that sort of the individual's desire and all that, that sort of psychological weight that comes with that, that, you know, mm. be seeing what you want to be in someone where you're actually deferring that. If you're on the left, you're saying, no, I want us that, you know, it's not me, it's us. As Bernie says, it's that's mm. for the many, not the few, you know, you're, I love that catchphrase. I love that. slogan. It was absolutely brilliant. And it responded re- and clearly people picked up on it. And that's the thing is, this is what we, we're arguing for, but isn't electable. And that's true. It's, it's like in that regard, elect, as far as electability goes, that's not true because you kind of you don't want to be the electable electable person. You want it to be you're electing the policies, you're electing the party, you're elect you know you elect us. You do not uh, do not elect me. And I think that's like you say, no individual person should have that. And I don't think any individual person does have that because you have to be assigned it essentially. Yeah that ends up being the problem. And I think that's where we are now is that you can't really use electability anymore because the, the most electable people are the ones who most ignore that, you know, who are the most unelectable and mm-hmm. they've become the most powerful people in the world. So, and yet it was, reason, it still it, gets hammered. <laughs> it was, it was a cudgel that was used against us for a long time, but we, mm. we've become inoculated against it. Yeah. You know, we, we were told Trump was not electable and Hillary was, and she ate shit. We were told that Jeremy Corbyn was not electable and he kept winning leadership contests. Mm. Um, and like you said, deprived the conservatives of uh, a majority in 2017. Mm. Uh, uh, Sanders was theoretically unelectable and he is the first person to have ever won in the first three primaries and is on, on his way to basically clean up in South Carolina was going to be the only one that looked like in the polls that he was going to have any trouble yeah. with because Joe Biden, Barack Obama's vice president, was polling really, really well with black people. But basically, right. that has flipped in the last couple of days. And right. Bernie Sanders is now like just shot up 11 points with black people. Oh, and Biden ate those 11 points. So, <laughs> so like Bernie, you know, after the first three contests, it's looking like he might even win South Carolina. Well. So it's... It's, it's on. looking really good. <laughs> it's on my Donkey Kong. Yeah. You Leo, know. 
thank you very much for having another first time <laughs> conversation with me. Thank I, you very much. I really appreciate that. This is a wonderful conversation and I, I really want to have you on to talk about Superman sometime and Definitely. maybe even Watchmen. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug uh, here at the um, end? No, I mean, my my book, uh, Times Lie, is uh, will be out on April the 24th um, from Orga Bookstores. It's available to pre-order online in all the awful uh, multi-conglomerate companies that <laughs> I, I would urge you not to use, but it's also available on uh, websites like hive.co.uk and others you can pre-order them from them or zero books themselves or waterstones any of these are far better than uh, the the company with an a um, yeah. <laughs> the uh but yes the, that's out on the april 24th get it to pre-order now and i'll make sure to post the link in the description of this episode brilliant thank you very much but yeah it's been a pleasure richard thank you uh, i hope to come back soon I look forward to it. Leo Cookman, thank you so much. And heroes, I will talk to you next time. Later. Uh